0: If you are a teenager, I hope that you haven't missed the opportunity to, to sign up for our New Year's Eve event. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, and for everyone else, I hope that this will be a good moment for us to reflect on 2019 and, and what God has done and, and maybe look ahead to see what God might do in the future. And along those lines, as we, as we consider the last year, maybe you're happy to see the new year come in. Maybe you're a bit punch drunk from 2019, or maybe you're sad to see it go. It was a good year for you, and um, or, or maybe you're really indifferent because it's a relatively arbitrary thing that's been foisted upon us—the calendar. Who knows? Uh, but I like to take this opportunity to think about the past and consider. This is a moment to see what the future might hold for us. And so I wanted to pose this question for us to consider: What, if you had to pick one, if you had to think of one, what would your, you would like your theme for 2020 to be? If you had to pick or consider or think of what would you like your theme to be for 2020? Now, maybe you're the kind of person who is a planner and you're like, well, actually, I've already picked out my theme and my five sub-themes and, you know, my three goals and my, you know, broken them down into quarterly goals and to 10 action items per month. And if, if that's you, that's great, wonderful. Talk to me afterwards and you can help me. Um, <laughs> but for the rest of us, what, if you had to pick one overarching idea, principle, action word for 2020, what would you like to be? What would you like it to be? It's 2020, so if, I had, if I had thought about it, I should have said something about you know, expert vision or you know, clarity, but I didn't. And so uh, we, won't, we won't be thinking about that pun, but I wanted us to consider What God would have us make our theme for 2020. So we're going to read out of Psalm chapter 146, Psalm 146, it's 10 verses we're going to read together. We've been doing a lot of not reading together, so we're going to read together today. Psalm 146 verses 1 through 10. Now if you're new, we we usually will read this aloud, and so that's what I'm going to ask us all to do. If you could stand up with me, we're going to read the word of God together. This is Psalm 146, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoner free, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous." The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we want to position ourselves in a place of worship for 2020. God, it's my desire that my life would be a life of worship and praise toward you. That as I consider 2019 and and even the rest of my past, Lord, I consider all the ways that you've made it clear from your word and from my experience that you are good, that you are God, that you are sovereign. So God, as we consider your word, would you Would you quicken our hearts to trust in you? Would you help us to root ourselves in a deep trust in you as our God? Would you help us to to rely on you, Lord, and remember all the things that make you God? Would you be with us now, Holy Spirit, and transform us in a moment, helping us to trust you more? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have this common refrain, praise the Lord. The Psalms are, they're the church's hymnal. These have been the songs that the church has sung from even before Christ came. The, the, God's body has, has used the Psalms as ways of reflecting on and remembering the, the words and the power and the actions of God and, and rejoicing and praising him. And it's appropriate for us as we close out 2019 and we look into 2020 to say, "Okay, my ultimate purpose here on earth is to bring glory to God, to praise Him, to worship Him. I'm created as a worshipper. The, the question isn't whether or not I ought to worship, because we all worship something. The question is, what will I worship? What will I praise? Will it be a football team, or a lover, or if?" Or will be a job or a career? What will I praise? Who will I praise? And so we see here that the psalmist is reminding us that we ought to praise the Lord. Now, if we're not careful, we'll miss the fact that he's not just talking about singing songs. For the psalmist, singing wasn't just this mechanical activity that you, you did. It wasn't something like, mindlessly putting on shoes. You can kind of put your shoes on without thinking about it, without having any sort of motivation behind it. But but singing was intended to be as a result of something that was deep within his soul overflowing into an act of worship. If you look at verse one and two with me, it says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's, he's telling his soul, get ready to praise the Lord. He, he's not saying soul make noises come out of, you know, your, your throat. He's saying, let praise, let this appreciation well up inside you, soul, such that it results in a physical response. Now, the physical response ought to come, but it comes as a result of something. That's why he says, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. He doesn't just say, praise the Lord, oh, my throat. Praise the Lord, oh, oh my, um, you know, my voice. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And he says in verse two, praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. You know, this isn't an ancillary activity for him. He isn't just saying, you know what, it's one of the things that you do. But he says, praise the Lord as long as I live. This is an all-encompassing thing. This isn't a, you know, every now and again on a quarterly basis I go to church and I sing a song. That's not the kind of praise he's talking about. But he's saying, as long as I live, let, let my life be a life of praising God. And he says it in a different way in, in the second part of verse 2. He says, while I have my being, as long as I am a created being, let me worship and praise the Lord. In 2020, you have an opportunity to walk in the, the most authentic uh, representation of you and your purpose in praising God. You were made, you and I were placed on this earth, we were created by God to praise his name, to glorify him. The, if you come from a liturgical background, you know the Westminster Standards, the, the Confession of Faith, or the, the Catechism says, you know, what is the chief end of man, what is the ultimate end of man, and it is to glorify God and him, enjoy him forever. That is the deepest, most foundational purpose for us, and he says, let me praise the Lord, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We want to praise the Lord, and he gives three reasons that I want to look at. Why should we praise the Lord? One, because we're rooted in a deep trust in God. We can praise God because we can trust God. I'll repeat it. We can praise God because we are rooted in a deep trust for God. And The second reason is this. We can praise God because we're actively relying on God. We can praise God because we're actively relying on God. And then finally, we can praise God because we can recognize his character and nature as God. We can praise God because we can recognize his character and nature as God. When you're rooted in trust and you're actively relying on God and you're recognizing his character and nature, then praise naturally bubbles up. Let's look at verses three and four. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, he's making a a contrast. He's saying you should trust in God. And the way that he says you you should trust in God is he says you shouldn't trust in what? Man. You shouldn't trust in humanity. And he doesn't just say you shouldn't trust in humanity He says, You shouldn't trust in the highest authorities of humanity, princes. You shouldn't trust in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. We can trust in God because God is and he will always be. Look at verse 4 with me. When his breath departs, talking about man, he will what? Return to the earth. On that very day, his plans will perish. We are not God. We are not God. Today I was making scrambled eggs and I cracked an egg and it disintegrated and fell in my shoe. That is not the actions of a God. Those are not the actions. God made eggs. I made eggs today, but God made eggs. You don't trust in a man who can't even get the yolk in the bucket, who calls a mixing bowl, a bucket, <laughs> and I understand that no one is is struggling to you know should I, is God, should I worship Eddie? But but we all have um, we all have those individuals or those ideals or you know maybe it's maybe it's the United States of America. This is America. This is God's country. And, and I'm thankful to be in this country. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have. It allows us to, to, to pray and to preach. And, you know, I've been to China and we led worship this way God, we love you. And we literally were in an office building singing as quietly as possible because we didn't want to be uh, found out. I'm thankful for being in America. I'm thankful for being a U.S. citizen. But it's not God. You know, we don't trust in princes because at the end of the day, our greatest of leaders, the most memorable presidents that you can think of, you know where they are? In the ground. They're dead. And their purposes, for better or worse, are in the ground as well. Now there may have been others who made their purpose their own, but, but it's a baton. And, and when my, when my date goes, I'm dropping the baton. And unless someone else picks that baton up, it, it's done. We can trust God in contrast with humanity because God was and is and always will be. I mean, you, you want to be able to trust someone who, who you know is always going to be who he's going to be. I mean, that's, that's the definition of, of kind of faithfulness in the context of marriage. You want, you want a spouse who is always going to be faithful, be consistent, be the same with respect to the vows that you made at the beginning, right? In the middle, you don't want them to start, you know, well, actually, I'm reinventing the vow, and I'm rethinking these. No, you want them to be faithful to what they said. And, and the best of humans is always going to be unfaithful in respect to some aspect of their life because we are created beings, and we live in a fallen world, and we ourselves are fallen, but we can trust God because he is and he was and he will be. God isn't temporary and his plans aren't temporary. Have you thought about that, family? The reason that, that God, his plans succeed, isn't, they aren't just because God's powerful. It's not just because God is able to coerce or he's able to make things happen. It's because his plan was planned before he created anything. I mean, he's the ultimate project manager. His Gantt chart, if if you live in that world, he's not missing milestones. I mean, he is, he's on it. And he's on it because he had the deliverable before the client came to him. I, I I got what you need. Because he was and is and will be. You know, if, if Booz Allen could plan for clients by saying, well, we were here before you were here, we're gonna be we're here where, you, you know, we, we can look into the future, we can look at the present, we know exactly what you need, they'd be making some serious dough. I mean, they are probably, but they'd be making more. <laughs> you can trust God because he isn't temporary and his plans aren't temporary, but not only can you trust him, not only can you root yourself in a deep trust for him that results in praise, but you can rely on him. You can rely on him. Look at verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed is he whose help is, in the, God, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. He says that those who, who hope or who, who trust in God are blessed, they're happy. There's a blessing, there's a happiness that accompanies those who trust in the God of Jacob. Those who hope, and he uses this word, hope in the Lord his God. Now, the psalmist could have used a number of names for God. He could, he could have just said uh, God. He could, he could have referred to God, but he uses this phrase, um, this term Yahweh. And Yahweh, or, or if you're in your English Bible, it's the, the, the small caps, L-O-R-D. Um, well, O-R-D is also in caps. That's, that's intended to show us this, this name Yahweh that, that God revealed himself to, to Moses. And he, he says, I am Yahweh. And, and if you were to go to Exodus chapter 3, which if you go on a reading plan, you'll get there soon in, in January. It says this. Moses is having this conversation with God, and God's saying, this is what you're going to do. You're going to you know, deliver my people. And Moses says this, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or I, 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 or I am what I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. Now, when he says the Lord, that word is Yahweh. And and there's a bit of a play on words between the word Yahweh and the Hebrew word for to be. So whenever you see the word Yahweh, it's it's almost like a a footnote, God's footnoting the fact of his nature. He's, He's encapsulated his nature in that name, Yahweh. And whenever you see it, it's the God who always is, who is who he is. And in the context of a covenant relationship, a relationship where God makes an agreement, says, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to love you. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to provide for you as the covenant keeper. In the context of that relationship to us, for him to be who he is means for him to be faithful to his people. And so as we look at As we look at Psalm 146, he says this, blessed is he whose help is the God of what? Jacob, reminding us of this conversation he had with Moses, whose hope is in the Lord his God, whose hope is in this covenant-keeping faithful God. Who is your hope in, in 2020? Who has your hope been in, in 2019, and if you don't really know how to a- answer that question, there are different ways of approaching it. When you feel pressure, to what do you run? When you feel pressure in your life, to what do you run? Do you run to uh, work? You know, oh man, I feel pressure, I gotta, I gotta go put some more hours in, you know, 60 hours isn't enough, I gotta work some more, and I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Do you try and manage your life through the God of work? I'm not, I'm not saying work is bad, I'm not saying that, that working overtime is bad, but when you run to work as a way of assuaging your need, your desire for peace, you're doing something wrong. <clears throat> when you're when you're feeling pressure, do you run to entertainment? Do you do you binge on Netflix or, or Hulu or or whatever? You know, Disney Plus. Again, I'm not saying that whatever show is is evil within and of itself you should judge it against scripture but what i am saying is is when we pursue these things as a way of bringing a temporary salvation they become functional saviors and they step into the place where god wants to be in our heart you know netflix was never intended to be your god i mean maybe it was intended and in that case it's, it's a bad thing it's a it's a golden calf and it needs to be destroyed That's not what I'm saying. This is not gonna. Let's move on. (laughs) The things that we run to for relief, the things that we rely on, they become our functional saviors. Maybe it's a maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a spouse or a a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you know parent or or, or something. And and these people are are, are, most of the time they're given to us for a good reason. You know, I'm thankful to be married. I'm thankful for my wife. She's helpful to me. She, she encourages me. She builds me up. But she was never intended to be my God. She was never intended to be my ultimate help. We were intended to walk hand in hand serving our God. And and maybe, you know, your parents are amazing. You've got great parents. But they, they fail you from the time to time. And, you know, teenagers in the room, your parents are people. And they were cool before you were born. And... And they've got they've got interests beyond you. They had hobbies. And and whether they are good parents or they uh, maybe they failed you, they were never meant to be your god. They were intended to point you to God. But if we have an expectation of perfection and and we're either Putting them on a pedestal, or we have an expectation of perfection, and we're we're unduly bitter toward them. Either way, we're we're treating them in a way that they not they they can't bear up against that heaviness of against that that weight of responsibility. Where is your ultimate hope? These things make really bad saviors. These things make really bad saviors. Psalmist says it. Blessed, happy is, the, is he whose hope is not in entertainment, not in a relationship, not in work, but in, in God, whose hope is in the Lord. In 2020, what are you hoping for? And what are you hoping in? As the psalmist says, the one whose hope is in God is, ha- is happy because God is worth hoping in. Um, and, and he goes on to give us the reasons why God is worth hoping in. He begins to just talk about the, the, the worthiness, the, the, the fact that we can recognize something about the nature and character of God that ought to lead us to both rely on and trust in God to such a degree that we, we worship, we praise him. So look at verses six and following with me. I'll start in verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Again, I when I make eggs, I take eggs that were actually previously created and I break them. And depending on what we do, I'm either frying them or I'm scrambling them or whatever. I'm never actually saying, let there be eggs. I've never said let there be something and then there was something unless it was me saying let there be a mess. And then there was a mess. And even that was with stuff that I had cobbled together. I couldn't cre- I can't even create my own mess. I have to use other stuff and synthesize a mess. God has created all things. We, we, we can get kind of numb to that, that reality. God created everything. God created everything. No one in this room, outside of this room, anywhere has ever created matter. We might have changed its form if you were like me. You've changed a lot of forms into fire as a as a teenager, you know. Changed it into energy and a different kind of matter, but you never created matter because that's not that's not what we do. We don't create. We're not creators. Now we mimic it, and, and there there's shadows of that in in the things that we do that maybe suggest that there's you know something of the divine in us, but but nothing where we are part of the godhead. Nothing where we are. God, God, he made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. God made everything. He's powerful. That's a reason, that's a reason to recognize that he's someone worth trusting. He's someone worth relying on. But he goes on, he says, who keeps faith forever. I'm so thankful that he says that, so quickly thereafter if God was just a creator but we didn't know whether he was good that would be a scary thing if God was just powerful but we didn't know that he was good then he would be a terrible terrifying God terrible in the sense of, of like Greek mythology terrible terrible where you think about the gods and you think about the titans and, and maybe if you're not familiar with them, the gods and the titans, they were powerful but they were not necessarily good. Oftentimes they were very, very petty and reflected some of the worst vices in humanity. And it's mythology, so it's stories, but it's, it's a reflection of, of the sinfulness of humanity. And those gods would not be gods I would want to worship or serve. Because they were petty, self-serving, wicked. But God, he keeps faith Forever. He's a covenant keeping God. When he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. When he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. And family, he's made so many promises to you and me. He's mediated promises through Jesus Christ. This is why in the New Testament, there are so many places where Paul reflects on our relationship with God our relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you put your faith in Christ and you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, then you're said to be in Christ. Being in Christ means that all the things that were yes to Christ because of his obedience to the covenant, his obedience to the law, are now yes to us. We get to celebrate and and experience the blessing of an obedient son because we are in Christ. And God is a covenant-keeping God. And so he will keep covenant He will keep his promises with Jesus and with those who are in Jesus. He he keeps faith forever. And then he goes on to express what that looks like. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. He brings to ruin the way of the wicked. God is a good God. He's a God who cares for the oppressed, he cares for the widow, he cares for the orphan. He cares that justice and righteousness exists in the world. We live in a world family where there's a lot of injustice wherever you sit from whatever perspective you find yourself in there's a lot of injustice there's a lot of suffering maybe 2019 was a year of suffering for you emotional or physical and maybe you're saying God I need, I need a real hope and I think what, what the psalmist would say what God would say is I'm a God of hope because I overcome these things he sets the prisoner free. He opens the eyes of the blind. This was the ministry of Jesus Christ. He came to bring a kingdom and in, in very, very similar words, especially in in relation to he has this one conversation with with one of uh, john the baptist 's um, followers. One of the followers comes to him. John is in prison, and, and he 's he's beginning to lose faith in jesus and he says. Um, go ask him if he's the really the, the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? Because he's in prison. And he's like, well, the Messiah is supposed to bring freedom. And he goes, the, the, the follower of John goes to Jesus and asks this question, you know, are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus says, look around, the blind are being healed. And, and he goes on to describe the things that, that are said here of God. God is a God who is able to overcome these things. He keeps faith. He's a God who overcomes these things. He's he's good. The God who said I am who I am to Moses. Th- this God who said you can trust me because I will always be consistent is the same God that we serve now. We don't serve a different God. Right if you have this view of the old testament where the old testament was that one god and he was kind of grumpy and we don't like to talk about him and oh, new testament is, is Jesus and he's got the he's got the sheep and he's just you know skipping along that's not that's not that's not the bible that's that's a fairy tale the god of the old testament was really upset about sin really upset because he's a very holy god in the same way that I've, I've used this example before, but, you know, if someone were to insult me, you know, maybe I got heckled from, from the stage and someone said something. It'd be a little embarrassing. One of the ushers might invite them to go outside. But that's about it, right? Now, if you, you're at a press junket in front of the president and you start to heckle him, you might have a different conversation with the Secret Service member. Because the president, whatever you view the president is held at a higher level of honor because of his office. And, and we're all, all of us are guilty of offending an infinitely honorable God. And so the, you see the Old Testament God trying to paint a picture of a, for us of, of his holiness and our offense. And because we're sinful, we look at the Old Testament sometimes and we're like, well, that's offensive. And Jesus, God is like, yes, it is offensive to me. And then in the New Testament, though, what we don't see, we don't see God just being like, well, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it go. Let, let bygones be bygones. No. He takes all of that anger, righteous anger, and he pours the bucket on his son. That, that's the picture of the New Testament. And that is the God, that's the same God I am who I am to Moses is the same God poured out his righteous wrath on his son so that he might say to us, I'm a covenant-keeping God, and I love you. You can trust me. I'm a good God. Not only is he able, he's good. He cares about your situation. He's a great God, and he's a good God. What situations have you relegated to the closet as it relates to your relationship with God. You know, God doesn't care about that thing. I'm not going to pray about that anymore because God doesn't care about it. Because family, if, if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ as Paul would say, if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and God cares about God cares about your, your, the things that you, you would otherwise kind of not pray about. He's the one, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him, bring these things to him. He wants you to bring 2020 to him. He wants you to bring all your apprehensions and concerns and worries to him. He wants you to bring these things to him because he's a covenant keeping God. He's a powerful God and he's a good God. He finishes and he says, in verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. I think it's helpful at the end of a year to remember that the end of the year is not the end. The Lord will reign forever. The Lord will reign forever. To all generations, his his reign, his rule, his kingdom is not dependent upon my response. And and this is is why this matters: is he's going to do some awesome things in 2020, and either you're on board or you're not. He's going to do some great things. And, and if you can put your trust in him, if you can root yourself in a deep trust for him, if you can rely on him, if you can recognize his power and his goodness, you can jump in on that. You can be a part of that. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day where God says, come to me. Trust in me. Be transformed from, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, as, as Paul says in Colossians. I think it's Colossians, maybe Ephesians. Google it, go, ready? <laughs> this is the day for you to step into forever. This is the day for you to step into forever. His kingdom will reign forever. Jesus established a kingdom that will reign forever. It was promised to David, to his descendants, I will establish your throne and there will be a, a king on it and he will go on forever forever. And Jesus came and he inaugurated that kingdom. And he invites us, put your trust in me as your Lord and Savior to take away your sins and to bring you into reconciliation with God the Father. Be a part of this kingdom which lasts forever. The Lord Lord will reign forever. You and I, we will not reign. Again, you and I make terrible gods. In part because we are not in charge. Have you ever met that person who thought they were in charge, but everyone else knew that they weren't? <laughs> like, it was that kid. You can't do that. Like, all right, Billy, just whatever. I'm like, you, no, you got to go over here. And people are just like, just, just shut it, Billy. Just be quiet. Th- that's what we are. We, we aren't God. And when we act like it, it's annoying to everyone else around us, sometimes to ourselves. God is God and he's going to reign forever. That's not a question. He's not saying, come on guys, let's come, come, come to my house and let me reign forever. Come into my kingdom. If, if enough of you come, I'm gonna get to reign forever. It's gonna be awesome, I'll be totally great. Vote for, vote for God. No, there's never been a question. And in Revelation, I mean, I'm not going to go there now. Don't pull out your charts or anything. But there's some, there some very vivid pictures of God's reign. You know, we think of Jesus as, as this kind of meek and mild Savior. He's got long hair and delicate features. And, and that's probably not how he actually looked as a side note. But, but no, he's coming with a white robe dipped in blood on a horse heard one pastor say that like when an army shows up in linen, they don't mean to lose. <laughs> right? If you, if you go to a fight and you're not even going to wear your dirty clothes, you don't expect that it's going to last very long. God is going to reign. He's reigning now. He's, gonna, he's coming back and he's going to reign in a very different manner. And we will all be under his authority one way or another. our knee will either bow voluntarily or it will be broken. I'm taking some po- poetic license. I don't know that that's specifically in the Bible, but, but the idea is, in 2020, you have an opportunity to be in the kingdom in which the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, reigns. He invites us in. He, and it's not a matter of, just do a little bit better this year. No, it's just trust him. Trust him, rely on him, look to him, understand that he is good, recognize his goodness, recognize that he is God. And then praise God. Then praise him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that, that as an aspect of your covenant, you have chosen to love your people. You've chosen to love us you've committed, you've covenanted, you've promised to love us. And you've fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ. I thank you that we get to celebrate that. We get to, in 2020, let the theme of our year be praising God because you are good, you are worthy of our praise, you're worthy of our trust, you're worthy of our reliance. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never maybe trusted God to be God, I would encourage you that you can respond today. You can respond simply by saying, God, I repent. I turn away from trusting myself and my own ability to fix my life and to take away the sin in my life. And I wanna trust in you. I wanna trust in you specifically, Jesus Christ, for your death on the cross which paid for my sins against God. And I want to trust you to be my God and King. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want, I want to pray with you. Once that hand is up, you can put it back down. Just, just pray this with me. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, everything I know to be disobedience to you or trying to find salvation in something else and i turn to you jesus i trust you jesus to be god to be good to be powerful and i i submit my life to you pray this in jesus name amen I love you family happy new year